Hello again, everybody. It's uh, Jason Powers. So tonight we're going to review. Uh, well, there was big news today with uh, uh, the FERC Commission, which is a, a energy approval uh, commission regarding uh, Texas LNG. <clears throat> now, Texas LNG was the the other half of the Magnolia uh, Glen Farm Group ownership. Um, acquisition that was done um, and is attached to, I believe, 100 Biden. Now, we're going to go through this again. I've, uh, I wrote up an article earlier. I've written several articles about this, and I've been pursuing this uh, very dil diligently uh, because Hunter is the weak link. And uh, aside from all his other, you know, shortcomings or Things that they're going after him for are, uh, I've been tagging congressmen, I've been tagging major media people, I've uh, <clears throat> sent this to James O'Keefe, I sent it to Darren Beatty, tagged uh, people, um, at least, uh, what would you say, the um, conservative media. So, I've done everything I can possibly do. And I've sent it to the Citizens Free Press, who's shared several of my articles. I'm much appreciative, much appreciative of their things to get eyes on this. It's very complicated. I understand that. It's not an easy walkthrough because this was a very complex deal in, in, in the hands that have gotten into it. What I'm saying by that is, is that there are no uh, <clears throat> simple deals when it comes to uh, committing crimes, especially when you're doing it outside the, of uh, <laughs> trying to do it outside the purview of, of inquiring minds and inquiring eyes. So I'm going to walk through this as best I can. I grabbed an energy drink, so this is not a, this is probably going to take a while, but I'm going to start back at the earliest possible instance where this stuff could have occurred, and it's long prior to uh, it's called, this is relationships, by the way. Obviously, there's lots of people that are interested in something where it can uh, bolster or blossom into uh, millions of dollars in their bank account or a cut or a slice or whatever for just doing simple transactional uh, exchanges. You know, here, I'll give you $50,000 or $100,000 if you just make this go away. <clears throat> that kind of deal. People are easily bought, especially when they're corrupt. And we know there are a lot of corrupt people inside and outside the federal government that have no qualms as long as they get their slice. So here goes. Let me uh, relax here for a second. As, of course, I'm always outside. <clears throat> so in uh, 2010, 2011, Hunter Biden uh, was dealing with Albert, Albert Say, who was a who eventually married uh, married uh, Kevin Rudd's uh, daughter, the Prime Minister of Australia. So sorry, no sooner I get started, someone drives up in here. So, and they're not very slick. So, anyways, so he meet he uh, him and uh, Devin Archer have uh, emails back and forth about. Hanging out in, uh, this was uh, overseas, in uh, either Shanghai or Beijing. So this was the, uh, you know, the beginnings of the Hunter Biden network uh, in terms of all the transactional deals and all the uh, ongoings of a uh, relationship that would grow into multiple um, <clears throat> LLCs, the Thornton Group, uh, bow, bow high harvest, etc., etc. This is well documented by Peter Schweitzer, uh, Schweitzer, and various other people uh, along the way. But at this time, for this particular situation, it's tie. I, I just uh, I'm just noting that because eventually Albert uh, mentions that hey, we can meet up in New York City in uh, 2011 or 2012. And he's uh, dealing specifically with Devin Archer. And also, Albert, at that time, was attached to the Macquarie Group, which is a 
a big investment outfit that's attached to Australia. For those who may or may not know that, just mentioning that because as it just so happens, uh, the guy that runs the Glen Farm Group is uh, <clears throat> Brendan Duvall, and he spent, oh, about 13, 14, 13, 14 years uh, at the Macquarie Group, starting in the late 90s, and I think he left there in 2011 or 2012, about the same time. So he undoubtedly is aware of Albert Say. Uh, they dealt with the same kind of transactions. Uh, Albert was a big uh, Hong Kong, I think Hong Kong based, or certainly on the on the Asian continent. So he uh, was de dealing with that. While Brendan was more out of New York, but uh, and that's where he is now. Uh, he's located at 292 Madison Avenue in New York City on the 19th floor. That's where Glen Farm is located. I have a lot of this stuff memorized because I've looked at this stuff a lot. Um, not saying I got everything, but I got a lot of it up in my head now. <clears throat> so, uh, from there, uh, most of it's pretty quiet. But in 2014, Hunter is uh, start, uh, starts dealing with a guy named Bill Marston uh, Miller. Um, he becomes important later, but at this particular time, they're talking about uh, dealing with some uh, kicking the tires on a Fosin Pharma deal. And Marston Miller, his background is this: he was he's a lawyer uh, by trade. He's also big in LNG. Uh, he was actually convicted in the 1980s regarding contracts in Louisiana. Um, he got a, a felony. Uh, it was a, fel a federal, I think, it was a federal case <clears throat> regarding uh, jiggering of LNG and energy contracts in general. I think down along with, uh, I think it was either the governor at the time or the secretary of state. A lot of big muckety mucks. Let's just call it that. And eventually, the conviction was overturned in the early 90s. But uh, so, Bill. <clears throat> He's quite old. He, uh, I think he got his uh, law degree at LSU, if I'm not mistaken. And um, anyway, so he's talking with, or he is uh, mentioned, and I think he's directly in Hunter Biden's laptop in terms of deals. This is in uh, early 2014, it's like February and March. And there's other people involved with this, uh, a guy named uh, Johnson. Uh, I, think his, I think it was James Johnson. James Johnson, who was in uh, in this uh, email chain, uh, is also a lawyer out of Washington, and it just so happens that his daddy was the senator of uh, Louisiana from like 1973 to about 1999 or 1998. Guess what? <laughs> he served directly alongside one Senator Joe Biden, so that's how he knows, and that's how he obviously knows Hunter. So these people are long-time connects, and they they even talked about, yeah, we know Bill, blah, blah, blah. So these people are in the, the Biden Rolodex. These are the people that get things done. So we'll move forward here to 2017. At that point, right after Joe Biden got out of the White House because he was the vice president, he leaves the White House, and Hunter, uh, his uh, deal making was kind of on the on the skids or the rocks maybe but he was approached by the Chinese uh, CEFC and they made a nice pitch to him and in May of 2017 along with Tony Bobolinsky and various other actors involved in this I think James Gilliard as is how is kind of his name I think it's how it's pronounced uh, <clears throat> they start working on this uh, contract or this uh, negotiation point and that's when the deal comes down they got numbers attached to who's going to get paid what and all this other jazz which the money must have been transacted and they talk about the 10 percent for the big guy uh in this uh email it's titled expectations and i'll leave a link in the uh, description along with all the other uh, links to all these articles i've written so you can look it over and you can piecemeal what i'm saying is accurate because I probably have, I don't know, 50 to 100 uh, source materials that are tied to this. 
quite substantial. It's not a, not a small little project I've been putting together. I could write a whole chapter on this. <clears throat> that being said, we'll go forward. So, uh, by August of 2017, there's a mention of a meeting with Kevin, uh, Kevin and, um, what's his face, Mervyn Yang. Uh, they're talking about, they talked about or rediscussed, uh, based upon our meeting in Miami, uh, and they talked about the negotiation points of we're going to <coughs> pay you a substantial amount of money. I think it was $30 million, if I'm not mistaken, at this point. And that the Yang and Mervin had put together a laundry list, like a, like a, a bullet point, a high-level strategic bullet point that they were supposed to work on two to five deals per year or two, you know, something along that lines in Europe. South America and North America regarding this. So deals, not insubstantial deals. I'm talking, obviously, the idea is to get them, get the Chinese embedded into our country through whatever backdoor that they can come up with and obviously get their cut and, and uh, the Bidens would facilitate that. So given that they were out of power, think about it for a second. They were going to facilitate this deal-making arrangement. Um, but, you know, what, what could stand in the way of that? Well, of course, uh, it wasn't very uh, too much longer going into the latter part of 2017 that Patrick Ho got arrested by the FBI. Now, how did they know all that? Who was telling what and why, why did that happen? I don't know. I don't know what the particular his his deal his his deal was tied to Africa and some deals. I think in either was it Ethiopia or the con I forget what country it was. It doesn't really matter. I know that I know I can look that up for you. And so it'll be interesting to see how that worked. But anyway. So August of 2017, uh, two deals were actually kicked off at that particular point. There was two of them. One was tied to Rosneft, and that was a kick through uh, several of Hunter's uh, alliances that were found uh, through connections back to Joe Biden. One of them was a guy named Angie Singletary, which he, or Brit, was, as he put it. There's an interesting uh, little interplay there of name of... Uh, going by your name and changing your name something's fishy there but he was involved with this he knew joe biden back when he worked in the judiciary committee for him he was like a staffer of some sort and he's been a lawyer since the 1970s he went to i think the uh, mississippi i think is his uh where he got his uh law degree anywho um he was, uh, he was brought in to facilitate uh, due diligence on uh, the Rosneft deal along with um, Tom, uh, was it Tom Thor uh, Thornhill, uh, Thornhill Energy, and a little bit of everything else too, does multiple things. So he was brought in as well to look at this stuff, uh, tied to the Rosneft deal. Uh, on the other deal, you had a guy uh, pitching Monkey Island, LNG, located out of Texas, but this guy was located in California. He was, uh, I, I, right now off the top of my head, it escapes me what is, as Mitchell, I think is his name, <clears throat> because he's kind of a very, very minor character, but because he was pitching the LNG deal, uh, in 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 uh, uh, the LNG deal was triggering analysis of LNG, and that analysis of LNG included one Jai Ki Bao. Jai Ki Bao is the Chinese associate or assistant to Hunter Biden, and she was emailing and saying she could do all this stuff, and she was very pleasant towards him. And if you see a picture of her, I mean, she probably was appealing on some level. Uh, I don't know. I don't know much about. Uh, let's just say that she was very, very much in, interested in honeypotting Hunter Biden. <laughs> I don't know whether he actually bought this. I'm, I'm just assuming he probably did. But nevertheless, this, this went forward. So October, November, they're kicking the tires on Monkey Island. And then uh, Jai Key says, 
well, this is all well and good, but I think we should work on something called Magnolia LNG, which is based out of Louisiana. And they, uh, it gets kicked around a little bit, but right at that same time, Patrick Ho uh, gets arrested uh, in New York, and then there's the whole bailing him out and uh, finding legal counsel and this kind of stuff. So that goes on for a little while. Um, in the latter part of 2017, um, actually, Brit uh, starts uh, gets gets a payment or a fee paid off to him. He put in a <laughs> put in like I think it was like a fifteen or sixteen thousand uh, dollar bill to Hunter uh, for doing his due diligence and whatnot. In January 2018, Jai Key comes back to Hunter, and she's got ideas. So you can see how quickly this is moving along. So when I say it's moving along, so really the kickoff point was in August of 2017 in regards to this whole uh, concept of these deals going to go down and he was going to get like $30 million. So she uh, proffers or brings forth the idea of working with uh, Natixis and HSBC through a guy who used to run HSBC Middle East, uh, their division, and then the, the Texas guy, I think it was uh, Jay Chatter, Chatterjee, it's an Indian guy, I can't pronounce his name off the top of my head, but uh, they were, she brings these two up, and she brings up the Noble Group, and she says, I have con contacts and con uh, connects there that you could uh, utilize. And this is where the beginning of the Glenfarn Group comes up again. Uh, but not through the Glenfarn group. Uh, you'll bear with me here. So, you know, uh, throughout the spring, uh, there's, you know, things regarding the whole, uh, the uh, Patrick Ho deal, getting legal counsel, and uh, Cathay Bank, which is located in New York City, a gal named Mandy Wong was uh, involved, had been involved in creating Hunter's credit cards back in the uh, late summer of 2017. So Hunter suddenly gets $2 million uh, sent through his, uh, to his account uh, from Cathay Bank. And that was in March, late March of 2018. And from that dealing, or from those dealings, uh, you know, there's, again, money transfer, the wire transfer. The House and Senate know all about this. I'm not the only one. They actually have the hardcore receipts. But I have the email uh, came through uh, Wells Fargo's Wealth Advisor, located in Arkansas, by the way. So, uh, again, this is kind of the way things are and the way things are going. So, anyways, uh, around that time, my, my un and bud and all the time, uh, Glenn Farn Group gets active with Infrogen in July of 2018. They get $700 million in debt financing. Uh, it involves uh, the Mitsu, Mitsu Japanese banks and the Texas. And the Texas, of course, being uh, what uh, Jaiki Bao had, had mentioned. Just so happens she mentions the bank that underwrites Infrogen. And Infrogen is the subsidiary of Glenfarn Group. So they do this debt financing in 2018. And at that time, you know, if, if I go back through, and this is, this is a more uh, backstory than probably is needed. So uh, Magnolia LNG and um, <clears throat> um, Texas LNG were lobbied for by KNL Gates. Uh, to the tune of like seven hundred thousand dollars, they uh, they uh, managed to uh, do in terms of lobbying for them. So this is an insignificant, and they also lobbied for the company that actually owned them, owned Magnolia at the time, and Texas LNG, a company called LNG Limited. Uh, I I may have to. Uh, let me just edit, say te Texas LNG, I don't think was actually represented by K&L Gates at that time, but certainly Magnolia was, and they represented LNG Limited, and they also re represented the Macquarie Group. So there was a synergy with K&L Gates doing all this LNG lobbying, uh, in, and they handled bills or whatever. They were the attorneys doing some, uh, you know, lobbying on the floor or whatnot. I'm not 
wholly specific of all their little dealings, but there was a lot of money being passed back and forth there. So, anyways, so we'll move forward here because 2019 was kind of a dead dead space. But early, um, well, I say dead, but not. I'll say not really. If I can remember right, uh, Glen Farn, after a couple years of having that money. Uh, they went through some kind of reorganization, refinancing in regards to who was uh, doing their uh, backstopping that debt financing. And they invited in a Scotia, uh, a Scotia a subsidiary. And let's see, uh, the other one was is a very difficult Spanish name that I can't pronounce. <laughs> so they split the baby there and handled a little bit of Infragen's capital um, in terms of their you know, their finances. So in the early 2020, so now this is when this is all coming together. All the d strings start to come to place just by happenstance, which uh, it isn't. There's there's motivations behind it. So February 2020, uh, LNG Limited, which it owned, Magnolia, uh, their, debt, their uh, financing uh, gets uh, nixed, or they say they're going to run out of money to handle this project. It had a little bit to do with, uh, I think, the, what's called the FID uh, funding, uh, the final, uh, final investment decision. Uh, there's a certain amount of time that you can get like a FERC approval, which is, I think, uh, up to five years usually. So I think they started their approval process in late 2015 or early 2015, somewhere around that, around that time frame. And so uh, LNG Limited, which, oh, by the way, is located in Australia, uh, they ran out of time. But they weren't going, uh, they couldn't get a re-up. And then for whatever reason, what their problem was is they couldn't get um, uh, final contracts in place to, uh, to do what they wanted to do, which is sell product. For, you know, a lot of people or a lot of uh uh, the pricing of LNG has a lot to do with it in terms of a long term. It's a very, let's just say, it's a very active market and it's a very unstable market from what I can gather in terms of prices, you know, energy prices for LNG, uh, ebbs and flows of entire energy market are just, you know, make it a difficult, uh, difficult way to strategize. And we have a lot of players around the world who are doing things to manipulate market prices. Uh, obviously, we know about oil, uh, but just LNG in general. Uh, and also you have the uh, doing it home-based and, and using it for export. And then there's, you know, uh, very, uh, getting uh, financing or getting capital to do what is necessary to build these, you know, or buy a container ship and all that other stuff. I'm not going to pretend to be an LNG expert. I am not, not in the slightest. But nevertheless, there's there's a certain amount of uh, uh, engineering and or uh, uh, ability to uh, get product on a ship and then ship it or use it and <laughs> use it at, on, in your own country which is another thing, but uh, we've had, obviously, lots of environmental activists. We have lots of uh, delusional people who have a very low understanding of what the heck it is that they're supposed to uh, be trying to do. They're trying to make this environment. Their environmental crusades are getting in the way of, of uh, I would say, logical pr uh, energy policy. And I'm not saying LNG is the, <laughs> the way to go at all. I'm just saying that it it would definitely be a factor uh, along with nuclear and all this all these wind farms and all this other stuff is is not effective wind farms uh, electric vehicles totally the infrastructure the whole is the most costly way to go and it has very and oh by the way uh, you're just damaging the environment even more because of the inputs on the, on the input side. I'm just going off on a rant here. The input side of the green technology that these, all these climate idiots are, are talking about are, are, are worse. <laughs> Especially when you get into the fact that you have to uh, lithium mines and all this other kind of stuff. By the way, so I guess then there was news today about Chile nationalizing their lithium 
which is interesting. This is just a side. So, okay, now I'm going to go back to the main portion of this. So, February, March, LNG Limited out of Australia uh, was losing or going to lose their financing from First Wall Street Financial in New York City. First Wall Street Financial held the cards on this. As it just so happens, First Wall Street Financial, on their, their chief board members, two of them, one of them is Eugene Sullivan, who Hunter Biden actually emailed directly uh, in regard and actually met with in a very location in Washington, D.C. He's a member of uh, Sporkin, uh, Freel, uh, Free, and Sullivan. And yeah, the Free in this uh, deal is Louis Freed who's the former director of the CIA, or former directors, former director of the FBI. Sorry, my apologies. So, and, and that's beyond the, his directorship. So he had made a $100,000 donation to the Bo Biden Foundation around 2016 or so. So yeah, so Eugene Sullivan works at the same, they're the, the head partners, the nameplate <laughs> speaks for itself. They're the heads of the, or they're, you know, I don't think they do much law work, but you know what I mean. They're the senior partners in their law firm, and it's based in New York and also probably, I think they have offices in Washington, D.C. and various places. They're not an answer, but their names are the what, you know, make the brand of their law firm, obviously, being that one's a federal judge and also has a, um, if you go into his bi biography, he has some intel background involved in his uh, uh, prior to his being a federal judge. So a lot of history there. And the other guy on this uh, for first Wall Street financial is R. James Woolsey. Now, he was a former director of the CIA under Clinton, and he's noted as a conservative, a.k.a. a neocon. And he was uh, just prior to George Tenet, and probably I don't I don't know when George Tenet took over from from him, or if there was another guy in between. I don't remember every CIA director, probably because you know <laughs> I wasn't always paying attention to who was running that. But maybe we should always pay attention, given uh, current revelations about the Biden laptop. But we'll let leave that go for a second. So these two are on that board. They pulled the financing at first uh, Wall Street, and uh, the thing is, is uh, then a bid was put in by Megatrends, Megatrend uh, Solutions, Megatrend uh, Energy Limited. I think it's Megatrend, and uh, it's a funky name. So this was founded by Will uh, William Marston Miller, the guy I talked about from 2014, that knows Hunter Biden from way back when. Uh, or knows Joe Biden, I'm sure, because of they, they're in the Rolodex. So he shows up. Now he kicked off his company, this Megatrend, in either August or September of 2019. Very convenient. Just, you know, hadn't been open. And, and in May, early May, he adds several board members. Uh, when I say board member, he's had like four or five. So he just created this like, you know, you know, paper, basically a paper company. There's really nothing to it uh, at that point there, uh, from what I found. And then suddenly he adds these uh, board members. He puts in a bid uh, for, I think it was a two, two and a quarter million dollars for Magnolia. And this is just, uh, you know, and it, uh, for about a period of, I don't know, a week to ten a week or two weeks, it's in his hands, held. But then he backs out or box on the deal, you know, whatever, whatever the case was. It does. I don't. They don't go. There's no detailing on what what triggered that. But I don't think there was ever supposed to be any details on it. So then, Glenn Farn Group swoops in and gets it for two million dollars. So Brendan Devolve comes in and takes the takes over, and. Through through that process, you can you can kind of flow that. Okay, Hunter knows Eugene Sullivan, who the first Wall Street was the one who decided that they dropped uh, LNG Limited. Then you have a company that 
Hunter Biden knows the CEO of the guy who initiated this or put this together back in August or September. He puts together this paper mache, uh, you know, outlet or company, and then they step in, hold it for one or two weeks, and then uh, get out of the way. And then Glenn Farn comes in, and no, there is no correct direct connection between Hunter Biden and uh, Brendan Duvall. Other than the fact that he's an Australian, worked at the Macquarie uh, Group, uh, so more than likely knows, you know, like I said, Albert Say. So there's just, and once again, you got Australia uh, Aussies involved in, uh, from the prior ownership to the new ownership. So Brendan is involved in a lot of uh, South American deals, which ties back to the CCP. If you get into get into the nuts and bolts of it, I'm sure there. Without what actually without actually going down there, he has uh, projects in Chile, um, think Uruguay and Panama, and he has a like I said, he has offices in New York City, at the, and he also has an office in Houston. So, and of course, the office in Houston is tied to Magnolia. So it's it's just quite a quite a situation here with that happening so the next step after that's done Glen Farn uh, in June of 2020 uh, they create a or they get some kind of initial offering when I say offering I think it was class a or class a stock it was uh, the mate I I'm not gonna pretend to know everything about all the stock transactions it's kind of difficult to follow but nevertheless um, they have a uh, a blind holder. Brendan Duvall holds it holds it for the sponsor. So we don't never we never are revealed. It's never revealed who uh, po ponies up some money at the beginning, and it isn't very much. But they get involved in this, and they started it at that point in time in June of 2020. And for the next several months, you know, really nothing happens or occurs per se. Uh, they added a few directors. Um, uh, Brendan adds guys in that he knows. A guy named William Mack, who uh, I escape uh, escapes me all his uh, his resume, but his resume is very long, and I'd have to go back. I know there was a key point there, but I do remember the name. And by the end of uh, December 2020, then um, K L Gates gets back involved. A guy named David uh, Wachner. So. He gets involved in this, and it just just so happens KNL Gates is even. It's a very prestigious law firm, and uh, based, uh, you know, has offices in Washington. And it just so happens that he goes on a podcast, and he just happens to know one of Hunter Biden's contacts in his emails. Uh, lady, I can't her name escapes me, but there was a write up or a piece done on her. Um, that you know they did a little podcast together so he knows this lady directly and hunter knows this lady directly because they were uh, having uh, communications about foundations of some sort i can't remember what the uh what the particular foundation was but she was so she wanted uh, hunter's insights and uh, you know <laughs> this was in 2019 uh, if I'm not mistaken, either 2018 or 2019. At that point, Hunter was going off the rails because of his finances. So anyway, KNL Gates uh, comes back into the picture. They uh, they suddenly realize that oh, they didn't record the change in ownership and yada yada yada. Uh, he, he puts in a little letter and he also uh, departs from the the conversation. And it turns out that Wachner was uh, had been heavily involved in this. You know, whole process for a long time. And when I say heavily involved, he's heavily involved on the lobbying side. So, anyway, and he's tied to the FERC, uh, FERC uh, applications. Very interesting. There's there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about, but there's certainly things going on behind the scenes. And this is the way things get done through law firms, so that you don't have enough. And what gets reported on are just the closures of certain deals, but you don't understand all the obviously not getting all the emails of everybody that's involved here. <clears throat> so in February of 2021, Glenn Farm uh, puts together an initial, uh, you know, documentation for a public offering. This is after the Bidens have taken over the White House and they're going forward and they're telling everybody they're going to be tough on climate change and all this other stuff. 
And uh, the next month, uh, as I think it was February 17th of 2021, uh, is when they start the Articles of Incorporation for the uh, Glen Farm Merger Corp. So, and they're setting up the documentations to do the initial public offering. What is interesting in this, what I'm telling you about is, is the, the law firms uh, Green, uh, Greenberg and uh, Traurig, which happen to be the same law firm that uh, Hunter Biden's uh, Rosemont Seneca uh, real estate uh, acquisition group used. Uh, this was mentioned by Devin Archer. He mentioned in an email in, I think, 2010, 11, or 12, somewhere in that time frame. Um, and at one point, that got sold. Rose, the Rosemont Seneca, the real estate part of this, uh, got sold off. But at that point in time, Hunter and Devin and a couple others were involved with this this uh, real estate acquisition stuff in terms of they had some kind of share in this uh, this project. Now, we don't know if they totally divested at that point in 2015 when it was sold, but if you trace the lineage of that particular outlet, uh, Rosemont, the, the real estate, well, it's, it's shown now that it's located in, I think, California and around the country. They have various real estate holdings. But there was a uh, Rosemont uh, located in New York City. It went from a commercial, it went from what, commercial to residential. But the key point of this is that if you go and trace down who owns them, and you go back, it goes to Gemini Rosemont, and it goes back, eventually it winds up back in China uh, through three different layers, and guess what? It, gets, it goes all the way up to a huge shipping conglomerate, which, uh, uh, you know, just is <laughs> very, uh, very telling that it goes all the way back up to a shipping conglomerate. So, and it escapes me right now what the name of it is. It's the biggest one. I, I just, you know, I'm not going to pretend to remember everything about everything. But that's what happened. So, uh, that part of it is interesting in and of itself. And that's where I initially thought this was where it was going. This was the way that, that he was getting his payoff. So, as it turns out, okay, so when they finally get this uh, incorporated... One of the things that they really wanted, and they wrote it directly into their SEC filings, and it's just a little bit, of, it's just like a paragraph or so, but it's very important in, in and of itself, because they, uh, Glenn Farn, uh Merger Corp, had stipulated that if there was any, you know, suits brought against it, or whatever the case may be, that the rule of law, or the, what would you say, uh, the jurisdiction of uh, where the laws would apply would be based in uh, the Southern District of New York, which is, which was interesting because uh, attorney for Greenberg and Traurig, uh, and, and there was also another law firm, White and Cases, on it. Uh, so they wrote a letter. They sent a little letter, and they just said. Well, we don't necessarily, they said in a roundabout way that we don't necessarily agree that this is a case, but we're just stipulating that we don't agree. But they did it in legalese that make it, don't make it uh, quite as uh, obvious as that. But they, they certainly, it, it probably piqued their, piqued their uh, what'd you say, curiosity that somebody would write that into a SEC contract in regards to uh, this whole situation, because obviously, we all know about the Southern District of New York being a very uh, contentious place where all these cases are being run through for various people. So we can go to the current, you got Miles Guo, you got uh, the whole, uh, what do you call it, the deal with uh, Trump, <laughs> obviously. So when you start looking at some of these, uh, or Miles Guac, or however you pronounce his name, uh, you have a lot of jurisdictional uh, uh, things that are going on here. And you have a lot of law firms and you have a lot of lawyers trying to pull uh, interesting maneuvers. So Glenn Farn goes forward. Uh, they managed to get some people to buy onto the stock. They have an initial public offering for 25 million shares at $10 a share. So $250 million, essentially. And they eventually, you know, get it subscribed. Uh, I think... Uh, one of the bigger uh, names outside of the Glenfarn sponsor LLC 
was Blackstone. They got like 8% or so, something like that. Had various names. They're all like investment banking or hedge funds or some sort. Anyway, but 22.5% of this got owned by uh, uh, the Glen Farn Sponsor Group, LLC. So it works out to be about $60 million that they had of ownership of this particular because in the end it was like uh, when when they closed out the books because he put it in um, uh, Brendan Duvall put this in a some kind of interest you know uh, did something with the money you know basically to make more money and it wound up being the final balance of the books was 274 million dollars like I said I didn't read through all their SEC filings and how they went about it and you know you know what the, what's the point of going through all that but uh anyway he was uh, the final stock share was like ten dollars and 17 cents it, it went up a little bit anywho uh so that's part of where the money came from but not very much of it. it's like three or four million dollars maybe something like that so anyways uh the the big key here is is that all that happened uh throughout 2021 and 2022 at the very end of 2022 is when uh they were coming close to there was a there was a uh another note in the the sec filing that they had two years to close out this deal now i mistaken this back in february and march when i was running through and connecting these deals up going through the hunter biden's laptop again and i was looking at lots of different things and i i'm was uh, mistaken about how uh, I thought it was live in terms of they had already they were still on this deal. Well, in a way they were, and in a way they weren't. So in December of 20, December ninth of twenty twenty two, Hunter Biden or not Hunter Biden, but uh, he was in New York City. He was around New York City. It just so happens that uh, Glenn Farn uh, had a stockholders or shareholders meeting. And they were to uh, decide whether they were going to res- uh, uh, dissolve the, the business. They had looked through, as they put it, 150 opportunities and vetted like 10 of them. And none of them had uh, appealed to them. And so they were going to uh, dissolve the, 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 uh, the public trading of this. So it was on the New York Stock Exchange or one of the, I think it was New York Stock Exchange. Definitely located on the Stock Exchange for Oh, I think a period of maybe about 18 months. It wasn't a little, I mean, not a lot of people were trading on it. So, you know, you know, it's a new, it was a new issue. So, you know, there you go. So anyway, uh, the last SEC filing from them came on uh, Valentine's Day. Um, when I say came from them, uh, if you go and look up their information, that's the last ones. There are several companies that were involved in it. So they, they closed out their books with them. And the next key uh, information, like I said, Hunter Biden was in New York City within days of their this uh, the meeting. I think it was two days at, at max. But, you know, I don't know if he stayed over. But Fox reported, this is Fox News reporting that he had been seen, actually seen in New York City. And it just times up that within 48 hours, this uh, meeting occurred. I don't think that's that's uh, that's just one. Okay, so one dot, no big deal. So March twenty third was when this uh, company was supposed to be, you know, fully liquidated. And you have ten business days from that point. So March twenty third, that was a Thursday, uh, as I recall. And as it turns out, if you measure uh, go ten ten business days forward, it just so happens to land right around the time that Hunter Biden shows up in uh, New York City again. This time for his art, there's an art gallery uh, deal. Now, he wasn't seen at the art. Uh, uh, inst- uh, George's, George's Ber- Berger uh, Gallery. And it's located in uh, Midtown of uh, Manhattan. So, or mid, you know, if you go to the island there, there's a little, uh, I mapped this all out too, by the way. So, it just so happens it's located about, oh, probably about a mile from uh, where Glen Farn Group is uh, headquartered. It's about a mile, or actually probably a little less, probably half a mile from the Continental uh, Stock Transfer Company, which held the, the uh, 
the actual trust for the sponsor, uh, according to uh, the SEC filings. So Hunter shows up uh, in New York City again, right around the time that this is the final day of liquidation, the 10 days. So he shows up there, or his art does, and we presume he's located nearby, of course, because just kind of goes without saying that his art shows up and is displayed. You know, I don't know. It's very, very compelling that he's probably there. So the next thing we know, he's flying off to Ireland with his dad. We just got back from that trip or what have you. Uh, he was over there. I don't know when exactly because it, it was kind of like, I, I, that was the thing. I didn't follow that part. But then when I realized it, there was a reporting that just came out. Uh, it's kind of an, I didn't include it per se in this uh, uh, write-up that uh, there were some uh, old emails tied to CEFC regarding Ireland. So there is a, there may have been a contact through that area. Was he over there for transfer of funds? I don't know, or sign over, or what have you. It could have, it could have, it could have occurred. This is just speculation. But nevertheless, so coming all the way forward to today, so today, they, they, the FERC Commission, there was two Democrats and two Republicans, but what's a Republican anymore, but probably a rhino. But the environmental group, uh, there was an environmental uh, page, Common Dreams, had a lot to say about this and was all upset about, you know, Hunter Biden and, uh, or not Hunter Biden, I keep on, I, I got him on my brain right now. Um, Joe Biden's... Uh, uh, administration playing lip service to environmental concerns and you know you know saying one thing and doing another of course on the same day as we know when what I mentioned was that uh, they really dropped this news about the uh, uh, social justice score uh, for housing and whatnot that's going to just demotivate you know people that have paid their bills and have high credits you know high uh, credit scores and FICO scores and all this other kind of stuff just because it's a bad I've heard it's a bad deal both ways no matter how it's sliced and diced you know what I'm saying is is that the people that'll get some supposedly get access are just going to get screwed into longer term mortgages and pay more money and it's going to be a way for them to uh, get people you know get houses away from people even quicker there, nothing these people do is for the benefit or good of anyone. None of it is, which tells you everything you need to know about everybody. But that was a major distraction because, like I said, the, the news that I latched on to was this. Because this is, like I said, it just so happened. And here's the thing. In the uh, one of the outlets it reported, so it shows a picture of Joe Biden there. And then right below it, it, it mentions Glenn Farm straight out in the in the publication so it stands a reason that there's some something going on there and uh yeah i i don't understand uh, uh why more people aren't paying attention to what is going on here but you know i'll work my beat until until it becomes a uh, a story if it ever does but the thing is is just like everything else with this. It's kind of like I, I don't know if it's a bad analogy, but I'm gonna try it. So this is like playing. This is like uh, playing uh, te Texas Hold'em poker. So you started off with a pair of aces. This, this situation regarding the information. Well, I guess I connected to Hunter Biden. So you started off with an ace of spades and an ace of hearts, and then you flop the the on the flop. Uh, you uh, the <laughs> the flop you wound up with uh, a king, a king, queen, a king, queen uh, of spades, and so another there was another king on the board too. So you're thinking, wow, I got a great hand there. And then the next card that flips up is a jack of spades, and that's what the where I'm, that's where we're at right now. So I'm working on a potential, you know, royal flush. And what I need to know is whether we're going to hit the tennis spades on on the on the on the river, or Fifth Street. So I, I just kind of hoping or that, and when I say the the, and the tennis spades represents 
who owns or who still has that share or did they dissolve that share so either they still have a piece of this Glenfarn group uh, 60 million dollars worth or whatever the case may be because I haven't seen any like I said I don't have any paperwork from Glenfarn uh, they, they still are representing like they still have uh, ownership to these projects and uh, I haven't seen any news to the contrary and they still are, as a matter of fact, as, a, as of April 12th or 13th, they were still representing that. So the other question is, if they did, if whoever, you know, you cashed out all these shares, $60 million wound up in the Glenfarn sponsor group, or it went back to Brendan Duvall. I don't know which. He was supposed to be holding it in, in the, the stead of the Glenfarn sponsor. Is what it says specifically on the paper. So he's he's the one who knows. He's holding the shares for that sponsor. And I said it's a sixty million dollar question. Because is it Chinese? Is it Australian? Or is it Hunter Biden? And given all the connects I just laid out for Hunter Biden, you know, <laughs> dollars to donuts. He's the bag man. We know he's a bag man in a lot of these deals. So. Stands the reason he would be on this one too, at least based upon all the other evidence. And it just so happens that, uh, like I said today, with this uh, uh, deal, uh, the Mitsu, the Japanese uh, uh, connection, comes back up again uh, from in Infrigen. Uh They decided to hop back into this LNG pot uh, for Texas LNG. So. Uh, even though in the write-up I read, they said Glen Farm is less uh, less well financially positioned uh, for situations going ahead, blah, blah, blah. You know, the person writing that, to, I don't know what they know. They didn't write it. They didn't get into a lot of specifics, so they may just be full of it, too. So there's my broadcast. Uh, I'll uh, look at it, look it over, and uh, thank you for listening.